Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. A lot went down this Saturday and Sunday, especially if you were into the football aspect of entertainment watching. A lot went down with the teams, a lot of great action all around. Not a whole lot of stuff happened on the release side of things for movies. Not a lot of major films coming up this weekend, but there was still a lot to look forward to this weekend. Ozark, if you were a big fan of that show, a lot of television shows dropped this weekend as well. I'm going to be getting into some of that too on the podcast today. I'm also going to be talking about some major casting news that came out for the Ahsoka Tano show. I'm also going to be getting into some news regarding the potential Oscar host for this year's Academy Awards and so much more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about on the podcast today, as I usually like to do when I start off on Mondays or I just start the week in general, is talk about the box office report. And like I just said, there wasn't a whole lot of major new releases that came out this weekend, certainly not on the level of what Scream did about a week or so ago, but there was still some major news that came out from the box office this weekend. And the first thing, of course, to start out with is the number one crowded box office champion of the weekend. And of course, last week it was Ghostface and the cast of Scream, but Spider-Man No Way Home once again retakes the crown for the fifth weekend. It's in its sixth weekend right now. It lost the weekend last week, but it reclaims it this weekend. And it did really, really, really well for itself. When you look at the box office reports, for Spider-Man No Way Home. It did oh pretty okay for itself considering that it's in its sixth weekend right now. And when you look at the reports, it did around $14 million during the three-day spot. And now it eclipses $721 million domestically and it has $1.6 million worldwide at the box office. And just like it did last weekend and the weekend before and the weekend after before that, it continues to break records. And with the $721 $21 million. It is still the fourth highest grossing film domestically of all time, still having to succeed Avatar, Avengers Endgame, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. It might have a shot of maybe dethroning Avatar, but to get to Avengers Endgame, Star Wars The Force Awakens, it needs a a little bit more legs, and maybe it might be able to do that in the next couple of weeks. It made around the same amount of money as The Force Awakens did this time in 2016, when it changed from 2015 to 2016. So we'll see if it's able to do that, but still a long way to climb. It also broke more records worldwide, as it is now the sixth highest grossing film of all all time, now surpassing both The Lion King, which was at number seven, and Jurassic World, which was the previous number six holder before the Web Slinger took over that spot. It now has to pass Avengers Infinity War to get to that number five spot, which is at $2 billion. And again, that might be a little out of its reach, but again, as of right now, there's not a whole lot of stuff coming out in terms of major competition. Realistically, until the beginning of February, when both the new Roland Emmerich film Moonfall and the latest from John Knoxville and Jackass, titled Jackass Forever, is set to come out February 4th. So that is probably the closest thing that Spider-Man will have to competition in the next week or so to round out the month of January. So 
it still has a lot of time to rake in some more money. And if anything, Spider-Man No Way Home has proven to really be doing well during these times right now. It's definitely hitting a stride that it would be doing in pre-pandemic times in this moment that we're in right now. And it's scary to even think about what it would have done if we didn't have COVID-19 at this moment in time. So to, to see what it's doing in these this time period, and especially when Omicron is still very much a big thing right now, people and tests and tests and positive cases are really skyrocketing right now. And Spider-Man No Way Home is still doing this kind of money. It is very, very impressive. It has tremendous amount of legs. It's the repeat viewings. It's people that are going that maybe wanted to wait a couple weeks until maybe it became less and less in the movie theater. It wasn't big crowds, smaller crowds they might be wanting to go with. So we're getting more and more people to see this movie a whole lot more than I think people even realized. And it's a credit to Sony. It's a credit to Marvel Studios that once again, Marvel is king, like I always keep saying, in that they're able to deliver on these experiences that drive you to the movie theaters that you can only get to really see on the big screen. And it's sometimes it's once in a lifetime opportunities and experiences. And Spider-Man No Way Home provides that with the multiversal story and the and the, the old Spider-Man villains and the Spider-Men coming together for the very first time and Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland. And so you had all these things that people were looking for that they delivered on. And I think people wanted to continue to experience that more and more and more in the last couple of weeks, especially with not a whole lot coming out in terms of 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 counter-programming that you might want to check out other than No Way Home. And then coming in at the number two spot, which was the last weekend's champion at the box office, and that is the newest edition in the Scream franchise, simply titled Scream. It dropped 58% to make around $12.4 million at the box office. It now has made $51 million domestically, $33 million internationally for a worldwide accumulation of $84 million. And given where this franchise was back in 2011, when it took a huge nosedive from Scream 4, where it only made around $19 million its opening weekend, 18 really, and then dipped down to making only $7 million in its in its next weekend, it really goes to show how a decade later, after really already was a decade from Scream 3 to Scream 4, and then 10 years, 11 years later from the next the, the, the next two films, it really goes to show how franchises can think differently, how fan bases can evolve, and and it, it, it goes to show also the, the quality of a film that you make, the, the kind of nostalgia that you put in it, how you market it, and this one just resonated with a lot of people, and it could also be the fact that there's not a whole lot to see right now. Horror films do exceptionally well at the box office, especially when they're on very low budgets, and this one is around $25 million. So the fact that it made $84 million worldwide is impressive and will most likely mean that this film is going to break even at least. And if anything is greater than that, it will gain some money back, which is good if you're looking forward to a potential sequel from this new film that came out. So this is a great indication for the Scream franchise. And when you look at the previous sequels to these films and you look at their second weekend grosses, Scream 3 did $16.3 million and Scream 
uh, Scream 2, excuse me, did 13.9. So the fact that this one did right around the numbers of Scream 2 is pretty impressive. And the fact that it only plunged 59%, which again is still huge, but when you look at the track record for especially pandemic era horror films like A Quiet Place Part 2 and even Halloween Kills, even though those films had bigger opening weekend grosses, the fact that Scream was able to dip in that same area showcases the track record and it indicates that even though it's a huge drop, it still is profiting at the moment, especially on those lower budgets. So even though it, it dipped 59%, still a great second weekend for Scream. And again, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where the fluctuation points happen. Can Scream retake the number one crown next weekend or is it going to be Spider-Man No Way Home? Because again, there's not a whole lot coming out. So it's really these two films that I think are going to hold people over until we get some of the February releases coming out. And then, of course, until we get to the ultimate event of at least the first part of 2022 and that is of course the batman so it's these films that are going to hold the hunger for new content in the next couple of weeks and i think given the numbers that they're doing right now it seems like they're holding up really really well to start off the new year and then coming in at number three same as it did last weekend is sing 2 which grossed another 5.7 million dollars at the box office it now has made 128 million dollars domestically 112 million dollars internationally for a worldwide total of 241 million dollars and this is another great success story for animation again i keep saying it for the family genre that studios have been a little bit hesitant in the fact of getting people back into the theaters if people and families would want to go back to the theaters right now and it seems like again given the right film they would do that and universal has some failures to start off the new year and we'll get into that in a second but for this film to do as good as it's doing not as great as the first as the first sing film but still a really great secondary run for this film especially given the pandemic era right now I think this is a really really good celebration that Universal should be having for this film and it showcases that again families are willing to go back to the theaters right now it doesn't have to all be on streaming aka Disney and what they're doing with their Pixar movies but again a significant sign that hopefully leads to more of these films getting a theatrical only release down the line then moving on to the number four film at the box office this weekend was really the only, well, one of two wide releases that came out this weekend, and it was the Universal distributed film Redeeming Love, which grossed $3.7 million at the box office. Hasn't really been released internationally, so the total overall is still what it made in its domestic numbers. And again, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing for this film, usually around January. Again, I think considering where January was in 2020 it's definitely one of the more graveyard landscapes for this month and usually it's the first few weekends of january and normal times that are scarce of any kind of new content and it's really at the end of the month that we see some brand new films take form that people are looking forward to this year right now it's the exact opposite of that so uh, a lot of people didn't really go see this movie i don't think a lot of people knew this film was coming out but it still made some money not enough for i think universal to be happy about this but still it made 3.7 million dollars then coming in at number five the same as it did last weekend was the kingsman which grossed another 1.7 million dollars at the bottom 
box office for a domestic total of $31 million and a worldwide total of $105 million. Not a great accumulation for The Kingsman, which was announced by Disney uh, 20th Century Studios and Disney that it will be releasing on Hulu in February. So the studios want to get this film out of theaters and try to see if they can make some kind of a profit on home video, whether it's in views or if they do it on DVD sales down the line. That's where they're hoping to get some of their money back with this movie. It's not going to be in theaters. And I don't think this really spells well for the future of this franchise. I think we could maybe get one more of these films. It would probably be the third Kingsman film with Taron Egerton and Colin and, and Firth. But after that, who knows where this goes? I think this is showcasing that this franchise has been waiting for a little bit. I think also the fact that it's been a few years between the second film and a third movie and the fact that it's a prequel, it's not none of the same same characters that people are familiar with and in the pandemic and this film was delayed a whole bunch of times so i think this is just an, an amalgamation of things that is working against this film and the franchise moving forward then moving in at the number six spot coming in from four last weekend is the 355 which grossed another 1.6 million dollars at the box office and now has 11 million dollars domestically 5 million internationally for a worldwide total of 16 million dollars another one that is this one is going to be on universal and they might be celebrating with Sing 2, but they're not so happy probably with the performance of this film financially, which is a damn shame because, again, I think given the cast for this film, it deserves to be seen. You want to see more of these films do well so you get more of them in the future that are led by these female female casts that are strong, independent in the spy genre. And unfortunately, it just doesn't seem this film resonated with a lot of people, which is probably why they decided to put it in the first week of January, especially when you have other films that you can go check out right now. So unfortunately, it doesn't seem like this is going to be a win for the 355. Then moving on to the number seven spot is American Underdog with another $1.2 million. It now has $23 million domestically, and it has not been released internationally, so it still holds that same total as its domestic gross. So again, for American Underdog, a really good performance for this movie. Again, one that's more of a middle, a middle of the level pack film that not a lot of people were looking, maybe excited about or, or anticipating, but they still went out to go see it. It's a great story. It's timely. It's about an American sports legend and Kurt Warner. It's a great, as it says in the title, underdog story. So I think this one is doing well for itself in the market that it was designated to go out to. Then coming in at the number eight spot is the long-delayed film, The King's Daughter, which grossed $750,000 at the box office. This is one of the uh, the other cases where a studio just dumps a film out there just to kind of get it over with, rip the Band-Aid off, and that's exactly what The King's Daughter presented here. Then coming in at the, at the number nine spot was West Side Story, grossing $698,000 at the box office and now has made $35 million domestically. And then rounding out the top 10 at the number 10 spot is Licorice Pizza, which grossed an additional $683,000 and now has $10.7 million domestically 
at the box office and also has a worldwide total of $16 million. And with that, that will do it for the top 10 box office this weekend. So going from 10 to 1, we have Licorice Pizza at the 10th spot. At number 9 was West Side Story. At number 8 was The King's Daughter. At number 7 was American Underdog. At number 6 was The 355. At number 5 was The Kingsman. At number 4 was Redeeming Love. At number 3 was Sing 2. At number 2 was last week's box office crown, King Scream. And then retaking the box office crown this weekend for a fifth weekend is Spider-Man No Way Home. Once again, back at the box office glory. So what do you think is going to happen next weekend, guys? Do you think Spider-Man No Way Home will add a sixth weekend to its number one reign? Or will Scream retake that throne once again? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on to a quick TV review that I want to do real quick, and it's for a highly anticipated television show that's returning to the streaming service Netflix, and it is the first half of season four, the final season of Ozark, which is an Emmy award-winning show that stars Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, and Julia Gardner, and this is a show that was one of my pandemic kind of binges when 2020 was going on, and people were watching all these different shows, catching up on things that maybe they didn't have time before with, and for me, it was Succession, and the other one was Ozark, and I binged for about a week all 30 episodes of the show. It was right around the time that season three was coming out, so there was a big buzz around the show on Tom Pelfrey, who was playing a key character in the third season of the show, and he was gaining a lot of Emmy buzz at the time. So there was a a lot of of positive energy moving towards this show, and for the first first three seasons, I absolutely loved this show. I think it's one that is a a, a big mainstay and and a big staple for the streaming service, but I feel like not a lot of people really get to watch it. It's cool to see a different side of Jason Bateman, because we all know him to kind of be the straightforward forward guy in comedy shows and comedy movies and this time he gets to be the straight man in a drama series and he does a great job in this Lord Linney is fantastic as well so is Julie Garner who to me was a revelation in this show I think she just kind of just came out like a rocket and I can't wait to see what else she does she has some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline this year also on Netflix but Coming back to Ozark, I really enjoyed these first three seasons. It's a great drug story. It's it's about American wealth and and finances and the American dream. It's just got all these great things kind of just working in its favor. And knowing where season three ends off, I was really excited and looking forward to what was going to happen moving forward in the story. And now that we know that it's going, this is the final season, season four, they're breaking it up into two parts. I was looking forward to seeing how they were really going to kind of manage all this. And for me, season four, part one did exactly what it needed to do in setting up for the final seven episodes of this upcoming season, because season four as a total is going to be 14 episodes instead of the original 10 that the previous seasons have had and so it's going to be divided into seven episodes and and seven episodes to round out the 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 series really and so for me i was expecting to kind of uh, tell the story but set some things up for the final few episodes and that's exactly what it did it brought to without spoiling anything it brought definitely brought closure to a couple storylines as well that i don't want to give away but it has some really cool surprises 
introduces, even though it's late to the stage, it introduces some really cool characters that I think are going to prone to be a big problem in this season and also in the back half of season four as well that I'm looking forward to. Jason Bateman is great in this. The whole entire cast is, per usual, amazing in this show. But again, it really falls onto the shoulders of Laura Linney, who is phenomenal in this show. She's probably, her and Ruth are probably my favorite characters of this entire series, and they continue to do that. They are kind of the bedrocks of this show. They're the most interesting characters as well. And the same thing goes to Julia Gardner, who, again, just wows you with the performance that she gives as Ruth Langmore. And I just, I can't wait to see how this show ends, but it definitely is an exciting first batch of episodes. It doesn't just kind of of run the mill. It doesn't just be very formulaic. It pushes things. It pushes the story, of course, but it definitely is a setup for what you're going to see in the final seven episodes of the series. Again, a lot of surprises definitely towards the end that I think will excite people for what we're going to get. Julie Garner, again, is amazing. Laura Linney, amazing. Jason Bateman does does what he has done really well on the show. But overall, I'm really enjoying this season so far. I know from what I've heard that we're going to be getting the part two of season four sometime in 2022, which to me makes sense because I would guess Netflix wants to of course, note this out, but also when it comes to Emmy consideration, I'm sure they want to make sure that both parts get in for the same year so people can look at both works as well. So once again, Ozark season four, part one, definitely watch it. If you've seen the show, definitely check it out, especially now to avoid spoilers. And if you haven't checked out the show yet, I highly recommend doing so. Or if anything, I would say hold off for a couple months, depending on when the final part comes out of season four, and then just binge the entire thing it's a it's a heavy binge i would say that it definitely you definitely need to take some breaks in between just because of how much they're throwing at you but it is definitely worth the full ride of doing so and i highly recommend checking it out when you get a chance in what will be a total of 44 episodes of ozark when all is said and done if you have checked out this season or part of season four what do you guys think about it so far let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now moving away from TV, I wanna focus on some movie news that came out over the last couple of days. And the first thing that I wanna talk about is some news that came out from Variety on Friday that talked about the Academy Awards and specifically, what is going to be happening with their hosting gig, which they have announced they will be having a host after not doing so for three years since 2018, when Jimmy Kimmel was the last full-time host to be doing the award show. They want to go back to that now. They feel like they, they it's ran its course, the no host gig, and they want to go back to more of a traditional format. And so the big question now comes into play is who is going to be getting the supposed honor of hosting this big telecast that people have a lot of their eyes on when it is airing and so there's been a lot of rumors that is it going to be Pete Davidson is it going to be Tom Holland is it going to be some other person and according to Variety while they have not made a decision yet there is still a lot of of negotiating and conversations happening in the wings when it comes to this year's ceremony and according to Variety it sounds like that the Academy and ABC which which telecast the the award show 
Orange is looking at one person. They're looking at potential pairings for this award show. So it's not just falling on one person that's shouldering it. It can be a two or even three person system that can kind of share the brunt of the work. And so Variety kind of listed down some possibilities, some uncertainties, some that are a definite no. And some of the ones that they said were highly unlikely or definite no's were some of the biggest stars in, in the game right now that really can't do it mainly because they've had some bad history with with the hosting gig or they're just too busy to potentially to be doing the award show. So some of the people that they listed were Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jimmy Kimmel, Tiffany Haddish, and funny enough, Tom Holland and Zendaya as highly unlikely that they would be able to do the show just because of their, again, their schedule. They have too too much stuff going on. Or in the case of somebody like a Kevin Hart, he was tapped to do the award show in 2019 but then certain scandals and controversies came about of it and then he was dropped as the MC for the show so it makes sense why he wouldn't want to do it Jimmy Kimmel has had the honor of hosting this show and probably doesn't want anything to do with it right now doesn't want to do the work at the moment which is understandable and then Tiffany Haddish because she's a little busy right now and also she got herself involved with some legal trouble she is not going to be in consideration for this as well they also say that Tina Fey Amy Poehler might Rudolph, who I remember in 2019, they had a very interesting kind of th- uh, of, of introduction at the at the Oscars when they kind of did a little bit of a bit with the three of them. And it's always been talked about that all three should do the award show together. So that could be a possibility. They also say that the the true front runner at this point is another trio that would make a whole lot of sense both for the, the show, for ABC, and because it's staying within the parent company. And that is the trio from Only Murders in the Building, which consists of Steve Martin, who has done the Oscar hosting gig before with Alec Baldwin. You also would have Martin Short and Selena Gomez. So you kind of, in that trio, you're encompassing a bunch of demographics together with people who have shown that they have chemistry with one another, that that they can be funny, and that you that they can they're able to level the playing field with one another, where you're not relying too much on one person or the other. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it seems like that's the front runner right now. It's also the fact that it's. Some, it's a show that's on Hulu, which is owned by Disney and ABC does shows on there as well. And so it's within the parent company and the home of, of, of Disney Studio. So it makes sense that they would want to kind of keep it within the family. And that's what they did with Jimmy Kimmel a couple years ago as well, too. So it, it seems and makes sense that they would be the front runners for this job as well. But really, when you look at all these all this news everything that's going on with this, it really just comes into focus of, do we really need a host at all? Should we continue to go with the no host? Because besides last year, which again, the whole thing was off with COVID and being at, at, at the at the Union train station, it just, everything was off about that one. And they did the best that they could given the circumstances. But when you look at 2020 pre-pandemic and you look at the 2019 ceremony, it seems like they were able to do a really good job with not having a host whatsoever and for me it's it's the fact that you can have some bits here and there but it, for me at least and I know for a lot of other people that aren't into award season as I am and some of the other pundits are as well it's about the entertainment value. So you, you need to have some of these things in there as well, but you already have all of these awards that you're giving out that 
consists and really kind of contain about two hours of the show in and of itself. And it's already around a three, three and a half hour show in total. So if you wanted to cut down, the hosting is still something that you could relatively do and then just kind of bang out all of the awards and then have some of the songs from the Best Original Song Showcase perform at, at the ceremony. So I think that's the way that you could potentially go. But I know for the Academy, for ABC, it's about the ratings, and that's what all TV is really about. And I think for them, they, they've been doing awful with the ratings so far in the last couple of years. They've been dipping dramatically. And so I think they want to try to get back on top in some way, shape, or form. And they feel like having a host again, having some iconic host, is the way to go at this point right now. So we'll see where it lands, but I wouldn't mind having the trio of Only Murders in the building. I think it would make sense, not just because it's from the same studio and company but i think they could very 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 easily pull off their the ceremony together but if they choose somebody else we'll see where they go but who do you guys think is going to host the academy awards this year who would you like to see host the oscars let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts and now to move on to some casting news that happened in a galaxy far, far away. It was reported by The Hollywood Reporter on Friday that Mary Elizabeth Weinstead is going to be cast in the Ahsoka Tano show that is going to be written and executive produced by Dave Filoni and also John Favreau as well. The role has not been disclosed as of yet who she will be playing, but if you know Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, especially over these last couple of years, she is definitely somebody that has dabbled within the action genre from her work on Birds of Prey to what she did on a little Netflix action film called Kate. While that film wasn't so good, her performance in it and, and her action sequences were awesome. So I could definitely see her taking on this role and really owning it, whatever it is. Some people have been wondering she could be maybe some kind of Sith player. Maybe she's somebody that is an ally to Ahsoka in her journey for to find Ezra Bridger, whatever journey she's going to be going on. And I can definitely, whatever side she plays, I'd be all in for no matter what. I'm just really excited to actually get this show and the fact that it is going to be reportedly in setting, getting into production sometime this spring is exciting. I love what Rosaria Dawson brought to the role of Ahsoka, even if it was just for an episode of season two of Mandalorian back in 2020. Whatever happens, I'm looking forward to what is going to happen with this show and what she's going to bring to it, knowing that Dave Filoni, who has really kind of created this character from the very beginning since her inception back in 2008 with that animated Clone Wars movie before it went on to becoming a hit television show. I think he, out of everyone, knows where to take this character, which is why he directed her live-action debut, and it is why he's going to be directing her live-action debut show in some time that is going to be set to come out in 2023. It's not yet confirmed if he's going to be directing all the episodes, although I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Maybe I would want that. I don't know if I would specifically want that. Maybe he could do it. We'll see what happens. But I'm still looking forward to this show when it comes out, hopefully sometime in the next year. What do you guys think about Mary Elizabeth Weinstead being cast in Ahsoka? Let me know what you think down below 
and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is to give a little bit of a shout out to a specific film and a specific character, especially in the Disney animated circle. It is Bruno from Encanto and specifically the song. We don't talk about Bruno, but we're certainly going to be doing that here on the podcast right now and giving a major shout out to this film that is doing a lot of damage right now when it comes to the music charts. I mean, we don't usually talk about music all that much on the podcast, but when it comes to these kind of major milestones, you have to really acknowledge it. And according to a lot of outposts and a lot of data, Encanto's We Don't Talk About Bruno has surpassed Frozen's winning hit, Let It Go, to become the biggest Billboard Hot 100 hit from a Disney animated film ever. And that's pretty big since Let It Go was a worldwide phenomenon when it came out back in 2012, 2013. So the fact that Bruno is hitting those heights is incredible. And the only other songs from Disney animated films to reach a top five position on these charts is A Whole New World from Aladdin. And it was also Can You Feel the Love Tonight from Elton John with The Lion King, which hit number four in in 1994. And then Vanessa Williams' Pocahontas song, Colors of the Wind, which reached the number four spot in 1995. So we don't talk about Bruno is entering into some incredible, incredible record numbers. And it's not even just that song specifically, it's also the entire album that was created by the musical genius himself, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the album is also becoming the sixth animated soundtrack in history to top the Billboard 200 ranking falling to number three on the past weekend's chart. So again, this film is just doing gangbusters business right now. And I think it, it showcases just the buzz that this film is getting right now, that it's the power of streaming. And we all get on the fact that everything's streaming nowadays. We, we got to go to theaters. But this is really kind of the power of what streaming can do for a film. And which is why sometimes even though it, it, go, it comes and goes in theaters and sometimes it doesn't get a lot of buzz, when you go to home video or VOD or now streaming, you can pick something up that not a lot of people were able to see. And I don't, I never thought for a second, and, and Lynn has said this as well, that he doesn't think, he never thought that We Don't Talk About Bruno was going to be as big as it was. And it, I, this film wasn't picking up anything when it was released in theaters back around the Thanksgiving window of last year. But now in streaming, people are starting to to watch it. They're experiencing it. They love the soundtrack. They're doing TikTok videos on portions of, of the songs. And so it's becoming a, a worldwide phenomenon that we would expect from a Disney animated film, which is what these films always do. And another big question, if I'm putting on my Oscar pundit hat, is I always thought that the that the animated feature film category this year could be a little tighter than usual and something like a Mitchell versus the Machines might have a little bit more umph behind it and might actually supersede some of these Disney films but now to me as much as I love the Mitchell versus the Machines I don't think that's happening right now I'm not predicting or locking up that Encanto is going to win anything but it's definitely the front runner at this point and I think a lot of the buzz is going to be coming from what the a lot of the buzz is coming from with this film 
album right now and people talking about the album, the records that it's breaking on these musical charts right now, I think it's just going to help get all this buzz out there for the film that something like Mitchell versus the Machines, unfortunately, just isn't getting at this moment. So again, congratulations to Disney Animation. Congratulations to Lin-Manuel Miranda and everyone that worked on the soundtrack. Congratulations to John Leguizamo, who is the character Bruno. And the funny thing is the fact that he doesn't Bruno doesn't even appear in this song, but he's talked about a whole lot. And then Bruno doesn't doesn't come in until well after this song day is introduced into the movie. So for Lego Zama to be getting this as well is, is great. For the cast to be getting this recognition and for the movie to be getting it is amazing because it is a great film. I'm very happy for it, and we'll see where this can go and what it leads to with 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 Oscar buzz and whatnot so forth. But this is great stuff. Congratulations. Congratulations to everyone that was involved with this. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro? the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Addict Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You check these out and so much more on the website, Ambiguous Podcast, excuse me, AmbiguousPodcastSolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code Ambiguous. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, Keep on screening.